0: Chance to, uh, I had a chance to track down, and I'm gonna to interview tomorrow for Monday the guy, the author of the quote that I put up on my. that was a subject of to my house. What i talked about on monday to my house. Comes and, you and the quote is this stay. close the what, 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 what? oh wrong website <laughs> I went to post-traumatic winning. How about bought Auburn Radio. Sometimes you gotta stay. So the quote is, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. The guy's name, he writes under... G. Michael Hoff H-O-P-F, right so I call him and leave a message at his business and he, he texts me back he goes hey man what's up I'm like hey man so we, I call him he was an 0352 tow gunner with 1st Tank Battalion during uh, the Gulf War and um, yeah how crazy is that so, um, so we started shooting the shit. He then did a stayed in the Marine Corps for about seven years, achieved the rank of sergeant, and then uh gets out, becomes a bodyguard, uh, high school educated, decides he wants to be a writer, writes a children's book, then starts writing some other stuff, post apocalyptic post-apocalyptic fiction stuff. And it's from one of those books that this quote comes out of. And then he starts telling me about. You know, this quote begins to, like, get its own life. He tells me about that. And I guess then Donald Trump Jr. used it in something. And he said, then it got a whole different life. So, uh, yeah, he goes by Jeff Hoff. And uh, so you'll get a chance to meet him on Monday. Uh, Now he's the author of 37 books. I said, so I'm trying to write a book. Give me some advice. He goes, "Um, I just followed Hemingway's advice. I said, what's a?" he goes, Right. I said, Yeah, he said, if you're a storyteller, and he said, I'm a natural storyteller. If you're a storyteller, then just tell the story. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> That's it. He goes, That's it, man. Tell the story, man. If you can tell a story, tell a story. So anyway. Um, so you get a chance to meet him, but interesting, um, interesting guy. So I said, Well, did you go to college? He said, No and um he's just a smart guy the 0- 0352 um mos is a is smart guy mos yeah not dumb guy mos smart guy mos and he's very much reflective of that so uh nah, it's uh so yeah chef hop and lives in uh lives down in san diego county and so get a, you'll get a chance to meet him on on Whoa, what, 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 on Monday. Um, Secretary of the Navy issued letters of censures relative to the uh, the sinking of an Amtrak off the coast of California. It'll be two years ago, uh, coming up here at the end of July. And um, I started talking about I started talking to people about that. So I called a bunch of people. Um hey sent out emails essentially trolling for information, right? Hey, can you explain this to me? And um what I got back was Yeah, the Navy guys got nothing. So he wanted to make sure that there was something in in the records of the naval officers that presided over this. And if he got the Navy guys, he had to get the Marines, which I thought was interesting. And I started thinking about it. And I said, well, wait a minute. Um, and interestingly enough, the Navy's relieved, like, I want to say, five or six guys of command in the last week. Uh, the head of Great Lakes, head of a destroyer. Um, I, could, I, sh- I need to pull up the article. Yeah. But the people that preside, I still, the whole Somerset thing blows me away. The captain of the Somerset was straight up incompetent, in my opinion. And he got he was getting nothing out of it. Didn't get relieved. And then the, the Navy investigation found that the Somerset really didn't directly contribute to it. He's the guy who has positive control over it. He didn't even know they launched off the beach. Right? They've got their head up their ass in their CIC. Right? They they learned that the, 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 the vehicles were in the water because the officer of the deck sees it the ood sees it from the bridge hey have the amtrak splashed and the cic oh yeah they did what the fuck man (laughs) but anyway so um we'll probably have a conversation about that on friday um i don't have time to play the marine corps hymn this morning because grant's gonna join me um No further, and I guess there won't be anything else forthcoming relative to the Osprey crash. Um And you've seen nothing, no further on the one, nothing else on the one in Norway, uh, for that matter, right? Marine Corps Aviation buttons up, and then when they release the investigation, the way this stuff tends to happen is the families get briefed, and then it gets released to the public. So, um, my understanding is that it was doing gunnery, a gunnery exercise um, when this happened. So anyway, um, nothing new on that front. Uh, very quickly, in about 90 seconds, maybe two minutes, um, top headlines of the morning, uh, the Russians continue to make progress around the city of Severodonetsk. Um, Stars and Stripes top story. Stars and Stripes kills me sometimes. Um, military postal system plans to end mail privilege for overseas military retirees. What? Were we actually doing that? That's interesting. Here's the article. Navy relieves 7th leader... In the past two weeks. They're hot, man. They're hot. Naval officer, who in the past was recognized for his leadership abilities, was relieved of, of the command of a San Diego based destroyer this week. Commander Peter Lasaka was removed as commanding officer of the USS Preble after a loss of confidence. No details were given. Naval Academy graduate over the weekend, the Navy announced it had removed three leaders, two from the u s s Bugely uh Captain Jeffrey Sandin was removed from the as a commanding officer of the recruit training command at Great Lakes Lakes uh on June eighth. They fired the commander of a electronic warfare squadron, which is currently deployed to the MED. On May 31, Captain Amy Larson, the commanding officer, and Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Brett Swaim the exo were dismissed from their positions at Naval Justice School. Yeah. <laughs> Not so good. Not so good. Um, top story in the Wall Street Journal is... Fed's weighing a interest rate hike. Next headline, Russian troops or Ukrainian troops resist Russian onslaught in the east. Let's see. Top stories in the New York Times. My browser updated and thinks it's really smart now, but it sucks. Um, New York Times is... Uh, analysis. Uh, last night was election night across the country in some places, right? Primary night. Far-right Republicans press closer to power over future elections. Next headline. GOP primary victories <clears throat> in Nevada set the stage for Trump-centered battles. Um, Donald Trump sells a lot of shit, I think. Uh, top story in the Washington Post, GOP voters in Nevada, South Carolina, hue closely to Trump. Next story, four takeaways from elections in Texas, South Carolina, and Nevada. That in the news. Um, Top story in UN, UNSI news this morning is... House appropriators want the Navy to save five littoral combat ships from decommissioning. They will allow the service to decommission four. So this is, you know, some pretty controversial stuff the Navy wanted to do because of the problems they've had with the littoral combat ships. So anyway, um, as the House goes through their appropriations, gyrations, um, this is predictable. Uh, if you've listened to um, <clears throat> if you've listened to this stuff top story in Marine Corps Times is five officers censured for twenty twenty amphibious vehicle sinking that killed eight Marines and one sailor. The next story is Marine Corps orders a safety stand down of all aviation units. And what's interesting is the Navy immediately ceased operations. Well, you know, it's really hard when you have training scheduled to just shut, shut, shut shit off and then to do something meaningful. So in my opinion, I mean, that's kind of eyewash safety shit. Um. And But, you know, you got to respond, right? And the Navy, right? Um, Certainly did that. And then um, Grant will join us here in a minute. Um, Top five, but the people that are actually doing the work don't get anything out of that other than maybe a day from flying. Um, It's far better to allow them to plan something, schedule it, and so that it's worth a shit. A top five stories, Pentagon to swap out nuclear boss and European commanders and more. Next story, Beckel Air Base in southwestern Germany selected as a destination for the future F-35 fleet. Next story, Army advisors in Latin America told to behave as word of drinking and tender use and STDs grew. That's in Army times. Native children remains to be moved from an Army cemetery. That's an Associated Press story. 4.6 pay raise for troop gets support on, across Capitol Hill. Holy shit. Um, Ukrainian war headlines. Putin aims to conquer Ukraine despite early losses. Next story. Ukraine battle intensifies as Western backers mull new military aid. So, with that said, Grant Newsom's going to join me right now. So, let me call Grant, and you'll be able to benefit from the wit and wisdom of Grant here on a Wednesday morning. But first, Skype has to do his thing. Its thing. I, I, I th- I'm, tr- I, I'm going to get to see. If, I'm going to see if General Van Riper would. Will- Will join me
1: hello grant hello grant here.
0: Grant Newsham live on the air. You sound like you're outside Grant. Where are you?
1: No, no, I don't know what it is. I'm on I have these little earphone things that oh, hopefully work. This probably the
0: microphone associated with the aforementioned little ear things. Um, first of all, how are you? How are things in Taipei?
1: Oh, fine, thanks. There's still no war yet, but that'll be a little while. So.
0: Got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, how's the book coming?
1: Oh boy, uh, I'm making progress. Um, yeah, you know, it's I've got a little more time, but not a whole lot. But I, you know, if I uh, work hard, I think I can get it. The first draft done by the time it's due. But the problem is that uh, hard work and I um, are not on good terms not, th- not so much No, we never have been actually <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an aptitude for it so uh, but it's you know I've, I've got a g- huge chunk of it done. I've got like fifty thousand plus words, which is a lot, um, but it's all it's just it's not when it's nonfiction, you kind of have to know what you're talking about. Um, so it's a little bit like doing um like having to write a twenty page essay every day and have to do some of the research for it too, and then synthesize all the information so it's uh as i say it's more work than um i my constitution can can handle
0: well, we will pray for you
1: okay as, thank you. well listen
0: to this so I'm doing, um, kind of this, uh, private, um, I do a lot of trauma coaching. Mm-hmm. And, um, so a Marine calls me and says, Hey, I've got a friend who is at the airport and he's really struggling. He said, do you think you could, you could talk to him? And I said, well, how about if we do this? You know, I've got my presentation on video. He, we'll watch an hour of it and we'll talk about it. So. We're doing the second installment of it. And at the end, I said, okay, final thoughts on today. The sergeant who called me originally says to me, you know, Mac, <clears throat> I think this is about learning how to live. And, and, and I heard a quote, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. And blah, 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 blah. And I said, whoa, 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 stop what the fuck did you just say? I said, where did that come from? I said, that's straight up brilliant. He goes, I, I don't know. I said, I said, say it again. So I write it down. I go looking for it. <laughs> Turns out the guy is a former Marine. 0352 tow gunner during the Gulf War. Gets out of the rank of sergeant. Never goes to college. Decides he wants to write a book. He's now written 37 of them. Hmm. So I'm going to interview him tomorrow. His name is Jeff Hopp. and I said, "Hey, talk to me about writing books." I said, "How did did you go to college? How did you learn?" to He goes, "No, I just." He said, "I followed Hemingway's advice." I said, "What's that?" And he said, "Write." <laughs> I was like, "That's it?" He goes, "That's it." He goes, "Tell the story, tell the story." I said, "Okay, all right, sounds easy to me, so I'll do that." So Grant, tell the story.
1: Well, I am, but uh, this. Yeah, I have to do some work first, and that's the hard part. Wow! So the the next one's going to be a novel, where you can just make it up. Well, that's
0: what he writes. That's what the Mm -hmm. quote comes from, a post-apocalyptic novel that he writes. You can Mm -hmm. only imagine Marines writing post-apocalyptic shit, right?
1: Oh, they'd be good.
0: Oh, they'd be like they're so full of shit too. And like he said, if he could tell a story, and he's one of those smart guys in the barracks, so. For those of you who don't know, the O three fifty two community, they're smart. They're in the smart end of the infantry pool. Okay. <laughs> and uh and so this guy's high school educated, smart as a whip, right? He just yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll become a writer, no problem. And uh thirty seven books later, um, he's uh he's coaching guys who are are trying to make write books and do other things. But yeah, no, it's uh I I found him First of all, funny, and uh, but uh, yeah, writing for me is is pain too. What is the hardest thing for you about writing?
1: Um, actually, it's the knowing, getting your facts straight. Well, first, getting the facts, uh, understanding them, and then putting them down. Uh, you know, you get these you know fifty different pieces of information, and you've got to convert them into. 2,000 words, say. And it's probably, say, it's that research part that, you know, you're trying to remember ideas and where you're, you know, you're trying to keep it in mind and taking notes and then trying to sort of rearrange them mentally and on paper and on the computer, trying to put them back together. But it probably just comes down to the uh, you know, me and hard work, which is the I think that's the fundamental problem. If I had like for forever to do this, I would take forever. take forever to do it, and it'd be much more comfortable. Right? Um, but do it, you attribute
0: it, that to your um, Virginia Cavalier um, upbringing up there in the Piedmont? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, I I wasn't until I was in the Marines that I like figured out how you do the laundry, or you know, that uh, no, I'm joke. Actually, I'm joking. Actually, I'm joking.
0: actually I'm joking. busted um, a, a bead of sweat on your ass. What is that? Yeah, the,
1: yeah, that was it. Mother, the, uh, mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I told them I would not uh, didn't need breakfast, and they insisted that I come. But the, uh, oh no, God. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But it, I don't know what it is. I think just by nature, I've always been lazy, and, uh, and then deadlines are not. That's not my thing as well. Unless it's, <laughs> you know, just the whole thing. It's this combination of things coming together but at least I got a little extra time but it say it's coming and um, you know Wait, so extra. let me
0: ask you this how did you get the extra time did you have to say hey Larry no Larry's not a publisher type of name hey Neville um, I'm really um, I'm really having some uh, personal esteem issues and it's impacting my writing and is there a way I can get a couple more weeks? Did you go that route? How did you get the extra time?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I just told him I needed to get my head together, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of these one of these '60s sort of leftovers. And uh, no, I just said I think I need another week to get it, um, get it in better, get it in good shape. And then it's not the first time, like uh, an, an editor or publisher has, has been told this. I think the fact it was only a week was probably pretty good. So that was, it wasn't a huge, huge uh, length of time.
0: I, I had, I got a, uh, I got a series of emails about the, um, about the, our little uh, map thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and people said, Hey, first of all, thank you. Um, that really helps. And I said, really? Cause it's kind of dumb guy stuff. And they said, yeah, but nobody ever does dumb guy stuff. And the Pacific, you know, as big as it is, right, it was pretty amazing, you know, to listen to you and Grant go through it. What many people discussed, or the people that emailed me, was um, this, the Western Central Pacific. Um, and that is, what's the, the place that starts with a K?
1: Kiribati, probably.
0: Exactly, and um, and and that leap for the Chinese, and what that would mean, um, and what that would mean for the Chinese. They said looking at that is pretty stunning. If the Chinese can leapfrog the first and second island chain, and and have a military presence that far west in the Pacific, holy smoke. Um, and I hate to use the word game changer because it's so overused. I mean, shit, you were using it like nausea- <laughs> at, at a nauseating rate like a week ago. Um, and I didn't even bet him. I didn't even bet Grant say, Grant, if you could use game changer 32 times in this segment, I'll give you a dollar. I didn't even do that. He just did it on his own. Um, but people were actually, um, you know, in terms of geography and space, uh what that does to the equation of the pacific so um yeah they were very uh they were very appreciative of uh the little uh geography 101 in the pacific so well done
1: oh good well, thanks yeah i um you know was looking at those maps later and uh and even listened to part of the interview and it uh, i don't usually cuz i um think of too many things i wish i'd said uh, but it, yeah, I, I, even I found it kind of uh, useful to look at the map, you know, I'd always do. Right. Uh, so it, the, and he's right, and people sort of instinctively know that, you know, if the, the bad guys show up in your rear, that's not a good thing, or behind you. Uh, and that's what they've got in mind. And it's been go- ongoing for 30 years, it's just now they've, they've decided um, to go for a game-changing strategy. Uh, but, no, they've sort of taken the veil off and uh, are really pushing now.
0: Um, somebody's emailed me. Here's a question. Mac, listened to the map segment today. I have a question. Where does Grant think the Chinese naval forces are relative to projecting power? I remember a few months ago he said right now they could send a mu out if they wanted to. How close are they to be able to send multiple Mews out simultaneously? Is that a ways off? So, Grant?
1: Um, I think if they wanted to, they could probably send two Mews out now. Uh, they've got the the hardware and they've got the know-how. Um, partly, they've built it up over the last, what, 15 years and these uh, patrols going out to the Horn of Africa uh, to patrol against pirates, supposedly. And well, they, they do, uh, and also to operate out of Djibouti, so they've gotten all that that uh, experience uh, with sending naval forces, you know, quite a ways around, you know, a, a long ways away, uh, and keeping them supplied and operating and you know communicating and that sort of stuff. Uh, and they've they're 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 hard. Uh, what do you call it? They they learn and they understand how our mews work. Um, we've been kind enough even to let them see some of this on occasion over the years. And they say they've got the the ships, they have the know-how, and they can put in a sort of an aviation component, be helicopters. Uh, And there's no reason they could not do this. And they could make the rounds of the Pacific just like ours do. Uh, What they probably couldn't do all that well yet is fight against, say, somebody like us. But if they were to go someplace where, you know, people are in loincloths and, or New Zealand, where they're in like loincloths and shirts, um, if they landed a mechanized brigade on New Zealand, I don't think the New Zealanders could stop them. Uh, That's how uh, weak New Zealand's military has has become. Uh, So there's nothing that keeps them from doing it other than they don't want to. Uh, and, but I think we're going to see it coming, I would guess, within a, a couple of years or so, um, probably start with one. And it, you know, with a Mew, you know, keep in mind, of course, it doesn't have to go out and fight. Uh, it's this, there's a political, psychological advantage to sending out a, a unit like that, and it makes the rounds. People see it, and they think, well, these guys are powerful and they're not the Americans. So maybe the Americans aren't the only show in town. And you'll have people, you know, somewhat intimidated, you'll see them. uh, Also, there'll be a a slice of any local population that wants to get in with the Chinese for whatever reason, Um, sometimes financial, sometimes just other reasons. And the that political dynamic will, will start shifting. Uh, and what are you know, How what are we going to say? Now you can't come. Uh, I remember actually raising this point with uh, the Marines about five or six years ago, as to what was coming. And of course, the eyes rolled and they laughed at me. Uh, and, and now,
0: and now they're all paying, right?
1: Well, well, no, it's. You know, do you they, send it,
0: them it, little it, notes and say? Uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they would do. Me? Yeah, new, there's, there's, there's
1: plenty, oh, there's been plenty who understood. At the time, but there were plenty who refused to.
0: Newsom's yes. very close to Newman, the way Seinfeld used to say it. Newman, Newman, <laughs> shut up,
1: Newman. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, uh, yeah, is that so, but, the
0: treatment you used to get? Shut up, Newsom.
1: Uh, no, then no, not quite that, but one but, step one step removed. But the, the real was, war is in yeah, Iraq
0: and Afghanistan. Yeah. Newsom.
1: Oh, that was the oh, that was one that was for sure. Oh, yeah, it, uh, yeah here we are. But the point is, they can get out there. And we've um, you know, say so we've not done the things we could have done to lessen the impact of it. That's uh, how I would put it, because you, know, you could see this coming. Um, and it, but it once again, they what you find with their that's just talking about Muse uh, with the China's ability to actually fight beyond, say the first island chain it drops off pretty fast. Uh, you know. If they were to go pick a fight, say, beyond the first island chain, um, they would have some trouble, like a lot of it these days. But they're gradually building up the, the, the power and the, the capability that I think in 5, 10 years they're going to be able to uh, give somebody like us a run for our money beyond the first island chain if the fight is closer in, closer to the... Uh, Chinese mainland, then it's going to get worse. It'd be a lot harder for us. Uh, but I'd say the farther out you get, the the better our odds get, uh, the way I see it. Um, but they know what the shortcoming is. The PLA, the Chinese military, has been giving the march their marching orders, and they are trying to. They are building up the capabilities, and, and then of course we don't instinctively think about uh, sort of the, the missiles, outer space, um, some of the undersea stuff. Uh, but we should. Well, plenty of people do, and it's understood. And when I say we, I'm saying more about me. Is that uh, it is possible that they could um, get a sort of a, a really big advantage based on some uh, something they develop in those realms? Uh, but for now, if it's the more or less the straight up fight that we instinctively think of. Uh, beyond the first island chain, they don't have very good prospects yet. Uh, but inside it, they they do. Right. Uh, so, but, so, but, but so let but me ask you a question.
0: This, this large, because we know in order to keep a Mew, for instance, to, to keep a Mew in the Pacific, you have to have three of them one's training to go, one's out there, and one's being maintained. Uh, the same thing on the East Coast. Uh, in order to have one there, you have to have three or four, um, and then one's in, you know, one's in a slut program or something like that. Um, <clears throat> the Chinese aren't anywhere near that. So in terms of a permanent presence, uh, not so much. Uh, but they could, fake, oh. they, they could fake it, right? I mean, if they could surge it, yes. I mean, give us a, a, a deeper assessment of their ability to do that in a sustained manner.
1: Um, They're going, they've got, uh, what is it, some 50 plus regular amphib ships, some of them are old, well older, but not ancient. Uh, So they've got plenty of amphibious ships. And say you were to use some, uh, mu doesn't have to be three ships. Uh, And suppose you work in some of your commercial vessels uh, that you can put together, you know, you can get a, I think they've got enough ships, uh to put together multiple mews, you would they'd probably start with one, but one is easy uh, for them. Two would they'd have to like breathe hard a little bit. Uh, but beyond that they'd have to they've still got some work to do. Uh, but th- I think they can figure that out. You know, they uh, I don't see that as as insurmountable for them. You know, and even say a, a two ship Mew uh, going out, you know, and that gets a little bit easier to do that. You know, that would serve the purpose. Uh, once again, it's not to um, you know go fight the Americans just yet, but it is to uh, upset things and to dem- you know to show the flag and that you notice how their that deal they signed down in the Solomon Islands, how it got everybody worked up. Uh, and that's just by signing a deal
0: for like a min- for a minute or two. And then, uh, right. yeah. then we went oh, oh, back to ops normal. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. To don't. Either. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. it's, and that's literally is what's happening, unfortunately. But there's always people who are who aren't fooled by it. But the human nature is what it is, and I think even the the military kind of gets that way too. Uh, but they. So the, the the point is that just by getting out there, and and doing things, showing a presence, it makes a difference. And one thing you're going to see actually. Uh, is that historically, every now and then, in some of these um, Asia Pacific countries, the local Chinese population, um, who are generally not all that well liked, they get worked over, Um, there's rioting and their houses Mm. are burned down and Mm. worse, etc. China has not been able to do anything about that. uh, Anytime it's happened. Now they are. And I think that you if a local Chinese population gets hit, Uh, that you're likely to see the Chinese send forces. And that's, of course, is something that Muser are uh, supposed to do. Uh, So that whole dynamic has changed as well. Uh, I'm thinking particularly, say, about um, Indonesia, but also Solomon Islands. That's uh, one of the pieces of the puzzle down there is the Chinatown gets burned down uh, every now and then. And I think it happened in uh, Tonga a while back, though, the Chinese, well, the Tongans would probably let the Chinese in the way it's the way it's been subverted, because but if they were not, you know, the Tongans were considered the Vikings of the South Pacific. Um, the Chinese would not get very far if they had not been successful in, uh, say, uh, subverting a good chunk of Tongan leadership. Uh, but the Tongan China, their Chinatown has gotten burned down at least once in recent modern times. Uh, but that's I uh, say it's say it's, it's a piece of the puzzle, and it's a re- another reason to have a Mew, our Chinese Mew. But I say I think it's you know we'll see that coming along. And the part of the reason why this was dismissed, there's a couple ones. Is one they they don't want to, you know they're they're not interested in power so-called power projection. Uh, they just want to make money. They just want to do business, and they've said they're not going to, um, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the other one was, well, they're not smart enough to do it. You know, look at us. You know, we're the Marines. You know, we've been, doing, you know, we invented amphibious warfare, etc. And um, the Chinese will never be our equals. It will just take them forever. Uh, well, you know, not quite. You know, it seems that it things that take us thirty, forty years seem to take them about ten. Uh, so, you know, we probably shouldn't underestimate them, uh, but as I noted, they do have some some shortcomings still, and I think we've got a, a period of a few years, and I'd say I don't know, maybe five to ten. I'd say less than ten. The David, uh,
0: the Davidson window,
1: uh, the Jim Fennell window. Um, oh, the but, David,
0: the Davidson ripped off from him.
1: Oh, he sure did. Uh, it was Jim Fennell, who was the captain, um, the intelligence, uh, the head of intelligence at Pac fleet in 2000 in the 2010s, who was sounding the alarm about China and the decade of concern, which is going to start in 2020. Um, and He spoke publicly about this with permission. Um, the Obama administration hated him. Uh, and there were plenty of people in the Navy who did as well, who were willing to do the Obama administration's bidding. Uh, so he was basically cashiered and forced to retire uh, about 2015. So it should be the Jim, the Jim Fennell window, because uh, uh, he coined the phrase decade of concern. And he laid it out, and pretty much everything that's happening uh, is what he uh, said was going to happen. And now everybody's a believer, uh, and a lot of people are taking credit for for this uh, but um, I've never heard any of them beat a beat a path to the village in Switzerland where he lives to apologize for what they did, <laughs> uh, as they should. Um, let me ask but, you. Uh, uh, let
0: me ask you about um, the Japanese defense budget. Um, their new prime minister. What's his name?
1: Um, Kishida.
0: Kishida, Fumio mm-hmm. Kishida. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The weekend saw verbal fireworks aplenty at the region's premier security forum as China and the United States clashed over security visions for the region. And this is the Shangri-La Dialogue. Meanwhile, Japan's Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, openly announced the shift away from his nation's customarily, customarily cautious post-1945 security stance, vowing to upgrade his forces' capabilities and reach activities um talk to me about what do you actually expect out of the japanese okay so obviously um i don't want to say saber rattling um but um words we haven't heard from out of japan in a almost a century um what do you think will actually happen because you're somewhat of a japanese expert
1: um, I think what's going to happen is the Japanese are going to do a lot more than they've been doing or ever have in in our memories. Um, but it's going to be sort of at the speed that they feel like doing it. Uh, and within their capabilities, it's not as if they're going to double or triple the size of their military and get a whole lot of um, more capability and resources. Uh, it's It just all seems to happen incrementally. Uh, but with what Kishida s- said, there's a real political significance to that, because traditionally the Japanese and the the government that which is the Japanese for foreign affairs purposes they they've they never wanted to talk about defense or security. their whole thing has been economic development and, and um, overseas def- uh, ODA the um, foreign aid and but they the defense security piece of it has been missing and they won't would hardly even talk about it except for these maybe vague references but kishida's come right out and uh, he's really carrying on from abe um, his predecessor two or three back uh, who was the one who really started the the quad um, but abe had a he had a was really plowing this empty field he had a, well he had a lot of um opposition so he But he's the one who laid the groundwork for what Kishida is now doing. But Kishida's come out at the Shangri-La Dialogue, uh, which is this gathering of defense people uh, interested in Asia stuff. It's Asians and foreigners show up. And it's it's like a big cool kids party. Uh, But to show up there, and he was the, the highest ranking person who came. Uh, and to give a speech where he's re- effectively, you know, was I don't think he used the word China, but he was sure talking about them, and was talking about the importance of defending the so-called free and open Pacific, and uh, you know, not upsetting status quo, et cetera. And to hear, hear a Japanese prime minister say that uh, was unusual. Uh, in fact, it's I can't think of it. Well, Abe once again, Abe, Abe had. Uh, said those sorts of things often. But now to have them keep still doing it, that's unusual, because uh, it shows that Abe wasn't just an oddity, but more suggests a real shift in Japanese thinking. Um, but what Kishida, he did, that the Japanese are going to do, and I think Kishida talked about it, I think there's three main things. Uh, one is they appear they're going to get together with the Quad countries, the India, uh, Americans, Australians, and apparently use commercial satellite to um, track, what do they call it, Um, black shipping or whatever, dark shipping. Uh, And what he's talking about is the Chinese fishing fleet, uh, which goes everywhere, anywhere it wants into everybody's territory and it vacuums up the place. Uh, Some of it you can see in other parts, they turn off their transponders or whatever it is. So nobody knows where they are, but they just go where they want. And I say, you know, clear cut the ocean. Uh, and nobody likes it, but none of these countries really can do anything about it because they they don't have the resources, uh, and they they have no idea what's in their territory. Just now and then, they'll catch somebody. Um, So that's what the Quad countries are talking about doing, and it's clearly directed at Chinese misbehavior. Uh, Japan is in on that. But Kishida also mentioned that Japan is sending kind of their equivalent of uh, sort of a mu, like a naval task force, it, um, uh, on make is going to make the rounds. It is right now, uh, throughout the Asia Pacific, and it's led by this. the The big ship is this, uh, is JS Izumo, which is it's like a big deck amphib. Uh, well, it is one, and the though it's nominally a like an anti-submarine helicopter carrier, right. uh, but it, it's like an amph- It's you know it is a big deck amphib. And it's leading the, the flotilla. Uh, but you've also got, I think, a couple destroyers going along with it. Um, there may be a supply ship, I don't recall. But I think there's a submarine in the mix as well. And this is all warfighting stuff. You know, this isn't, you know, we're going to go out and, you know, pull teeth and give vaccinations to people. Uh, but rather, these are the thing, the stuff they're sending. It has a clear war fighting purpose, not that Japan is looking for a war. Um, but normally, they would have gone to great lengths to make it look as unthreatening as possible, you know, almost painting the ships pink or something like that. Uh, but this is, you know, there's suggesting that they are, in fact, going to fight, uh, or they're not going to back down. And that's all of something new. Um, and there's really been, do- there's been no real opposition in Japan. You know, normally, the leftist press you know, their equivalent of the New York Times would have gone berserk, and it's not. And within the the Diet, their Congress, there'd have been lots of opposition, but not not now. Uh, and there seems to be a really a pretty broad acceptance of the idea that Japan needs to do more uh, in its own defense. And part of the the issue, however, is. Um, spending more money. So they've, it looks as though they are going to double the defense budget over some period of time, maybe five years. Uh, But they have no idea what they're going to spend it on. And they also have no um, real, they don't have any systematic plan for turning, turning the Japanese self Japan self defense force into a more useful, uh, capable force. they do, I don't think they have any idea what to do and but you know the spirit is willing but the the mind is not so well organized in their case uh so when the, they there's a change of thought that's happened but to see this uh, turn into something concrete uh is there's still a lot of work to do there um one of the the, the issues is um that nobody will tell them and they're kind of trying to figure it out themselves and they can it's can't get to they can't come together and figure out a plan you know think of us in trying to get rebuild the US Navy you know there's lots of talk going on but where's the plan for that uh, and in the japanese it's even worse but what I would like them to do what I'd like to have happen is and some japanese have even told me they would like it to happen is um for the Americans to get the right Americans and tell them, look, this is what you guys this is what we need you to do. So that we can we can both together have a better shot of prevailing in the next fight or even better stopping it. But here's what what you need to do. Um, You need to do these things, you know, get this sort of stuff, be able to operate in this way, do these sorts of things, etc. But we don't do that. You know, we never we never tell the Japanese what we want them to do. And that has been, I think, a fundamental failing of US policy at at all levels, um, over the last 50 years. Uh, And the story, the good story that I think tells a lot is uh, the experience the Americans had, when uh, they tried to put the I think it was a midway or a carrier into Yokosuka. It was forward based. It was going to be there all the time. And I think this was around 1970 and the Americans were hemming and hawing and and nobody wanted to ask the Japanese because they thought the Japanese would get angry. And, uh, you know, this and that, when the, you know, state department and parts of DOD thinking up excuses, why the Japanese would never go for this. And they, um, they, long story short, the, the prime minister at the time, a guy named Tanaka Kakuei, uh, he had a, a very good, one of his close advisors, um, was good friends with um, some navy US Navy people. And uh, particularly the this of a Navy Lieutenant, Com- Lieutenant Commander a guy named Jim Auer, and who was handling uh, this whole issue. And they passed word to the Americans and said and it was basically they, they told him look tell us what you want and don't back down and we'll take care of the rest and that is probably the best advice that anyone has ever given the american government ever about dealing with the japanese uh it came from tanaka Kakuei via that route i i mentioned uh, and we just refused to do it but you know the if we would follow that advice and really tell the Japanese what we need uh, and stick to it, that we'd get results. But we've just refused to do it because, you know, we don't want to be overbearing. We uh, don't want to be the ugly Americans. Um, And we we hope we should uh, follow uh, Tanaka's advice. But uh, the funny thing is, um, you know, Jim Alhurst, who told me that story, he later um, uh, became a professor at Vanderbilt University and was, really, I think, was the best Japan defense, defense desk officer they've ever had at DOD. Um, and he mentioned that after the the deal was done and the Midway got got in, that they says there were all sorts of people taking credit for, for for, for this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which. Um, um, but it was fun, another story, as long as I'm on it, is that, you know, when I was doing the amphibious thing with the Japanese to uh, get them to build that force uh, at the very beginning, you know, it was like a really delicate thing. And I found that that Jim Auer was actually had put in a good word for the idea with the Japanese and about this, because I had you know mentioned to him what we were trying to do and, and mentioning his name you know, with the Japanese, if you say, oh, I'm a friend of Jim Hour," you know, they, it, you know, doors would open. And uh, so it's, um, I just thought I would mention that because it's history that deserves to be remembered. But you've with the Japanese, just tell them what you need to do. Uh, and we don't do it. Um, but they another part of the problem and you're going to see this in the debate involving Japan is uh, they're going to uh, try and think of these shiny objects, these expensive pieces of hardware that they can buy that will make all their problems go away and solve their defense problems. And that is the exact wrong thing to do. But that's what's going to happen. Uh, And one thing that doesn't get much attention is the Japanese defense forces. uh, They miss their recruitment targets by 25% a year, approximately. And this has been the case for a long time. So you can imagine, you know, how old the force is and just, you know, that problem. And nobody talks about doing something about that. And the reason why they they miss it, it's not because the population is shrinking. There's not enough young people. It's really this life in the Japanese military um, is not very good. Uh, you, the pay is low, there's no GI Bill, your pension's terrible. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of respect until recently from the government. Uh, you know, you, your housing, you know, a lot of it is like from the 60s and really hasn't been updated. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Defence Force families that won't turn on the air conditioner in the summer because they can't afford it. Uh, and until recently, you found when you were PCS, you had to do all the work. You know, you had to, the you know, the the service member and his or the wife had to actually put all the you know, do the packing, you know, get the movers to come do the unpacking and to add insult to injury. um, They had to pay for it all. It it's a very small stipend they would get but they you'd end up paying like 10,000 bucks out of pocket. Uh, You know, if you wanted to increase divorce rates in the first Marine Division by about 90% just implement the Japanese PCS policies. Uh, and that's so you, if you don't address that, what I suggest, they, and there's no hardware fix to what the, the Japanese defense forces need. Um, and it's a pretty obvious thing uh, to, that needs done. But you have to get the personnel in right. So when Kishida goes to Sing- Singapore, makes a good speech like that, it is important. Uh, but there's a lot more to be done to actually make the, the Japanese military into um, really more of a fighting force you know and it will always have a niche capability but if they could ever get things working right uh, they could give um an opponent all they would want to to handle
0: let me let me read you um some headlines that have come on the on the heels of the shangri-la dialogue and um and 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 pick whatever you want to talk about and give me some thoughts uh number one Uh, From Nikkei Asia, South China Sea stirs fears of Black Sea rerun as Shangri-La ends. Uh, Next, West Philippine Sea, traditional fishing ground for the Chinese, according to to a Chinese envoy. Next, South China Sea blockade possible. That's from the Australian. Next, uh, West Philippine Sea build permanent installations to resist the Chinese. And that's from a guy named Carpio. Um, From the Daily Express, South China Sea fears soar as Xi lays the groundwork for a military base near Australia. From the Star, China vows to fight to the end to stop Taiwan independence. Issues on South China Sea also high on their agenda. From NPR, China accuses the U.S. of trying to hijack support in Asia from Fox News. Australia says China intercepted military plane over the South China Sea, forcing it to return to base. And then um, Marcos touts Beijing ties as Philippines issues new South China Sea protests. And uh, one more from ABC. China warns Australia to stop dangerous actions over the South China Sea after an RAAF, Royal Australian Air Force, interception. Um, And then Australia vows to continue to monitor the South China Sea after a close military encounter. Um, That's on the heels of the Shangri-La dialogues. Um, Thoughts?
1: Um, yeah, the, the Japanese, the, I'll just try to run down the, the list, well, the, the Japanese really are worried. And the Ukraine business uh, has gotten their attention. And they uh, use that expression that there's going to be a Ukraine in Asia. And what the, that's what they're talking about. That's their mindset. Um, I would imagine, though, within the Japanese public, there's this Ukraine fatigue that I think one is seeing. Um, that, you know, for whatever reason, within parts of it, but in general, at the Japanese level, the government level, uh, that has really got really woken them up, gotten their attention, uh, as well. Um, The, in some of those comments, the particularly the Chinese one about the Americans, um, stirring up trouble, one thing the Chinese hate is alliances and groupings against them. or they hate groupings period, because they think that they're being used against them. Um, But considering that these uh, sort of sort of getting together of countries or alliances, it's predated, you know, China, you know, being a threat to anybody really, um, it's a certain amount of paranoia on their side or guilty conscience, but they really don't like it. So anytime you have a quad or this talk of Asian countries getting together to um, cooperate on even economic stuff. Uh, they they don't like it. They prefer to take countries on one on one and then just grind them down uh, with their their size. Um, that's behind the, the Chinese comments uh, at all. So when they complain about something, it's probably a good idea to do more of it. Uh, and shows that the idea of trying to form these alliances or groupings and even informally uh, has a, a real usefulness to it. Uh, the there was a reference and one of the things you mentioned to the deal the Chinese signed in the Solomon Islands and the possibility of having a Chinese military presence down there. And that is we think we've talked about it. And that is really serious. Uh, but also, it's just uh, um it's been obvious for a long time. Uh, the Chinese have a naval and air base that they're putting in or a facility they're putting in in Cambodia, uh, down near Sienokville. And that is is coming. Uh, and I say it's been obvious for at least four or five years. Uh, the Chinese and Cambodians, of course, strenuously denied it, which but you knew they were lying. But now it's they're out in the open, uh, and there's uh, you're going to have a base, uh, say a, a Chinese facility and a, a capability to operate down in that part of the south of uh, the the Gulf of Thailand. Uh, You have to, once again, it's worth looking at the map. Um, Some commentators say, oh, there's nothing to worry about, but I disagree. Uh, There's always a political, um, let's say psychological uh, significance to these. And it's one more example of the Chinese uh, sort of getting a a spot on the the board. And it's part of a web that they're they're putting together and just give it time and you'll see um, uh, the PLA operating out of there. The Chinese at Shangri-La Dialogue, they met with the their defense minister met with Secretary of Defense Austin, and the Chinese apparently requested the meeting, and you know I would not have been inclined to meet with them unless they were prepared to apologize or so. Uh, But the Americans went, and what happened is the Chinese gave their pitch, which is. Taiwan is ours, you're causing trouble. And, you know, if you do anything, we're going to hurt you, etc. And, you know, there was nothing conciliatory or suggesting uh, any desire to compromise or or work something out. But they gave their pitch, the Americans gave theirs. And the Americans, of course, said it was frank and constructive. And the the Chinese, I don't recall what they said. But once again, it was inviting somebody in so you could lecture them. And we went along with that, and mm-hmm. that was a that was a mistake. Um, but also, was something that's happened recently is, uh, like just a few days ago, I think it was a Chinese foreign minister ministry guy, actually declared that the the Taiwan Strait is Chinese waters. It's not international waters, and they and that's despite China officially having the foreign ministry having said just a few years ago uh, that it's the Taiwan Strait is international waters. But now they've come out clearly and said, this slice of water is ours. And what they're doing is they're testing, waiting to see what the American response is. And, you know, do we challenge it? Do we go along with it or just ignore it? Um, And to say that they're testing. And if we don't, we should start sending ships through there about every five minutes. And not we don't have for that many ships, but we need to um, take this on uh, verbally and physically. Uh, But if you don't, you will lose access to the Taiwan Strait. Uh, But they say that's the and it's all testing in terms of shape things uh, for an eventual push on Taiwan. Uh, But that didn't get the attention it deserved. And I thought that alarm bells should have been going off um, wherever they should go off. And and maybe they did, but I haven't heard about it. Uh, But that was serious. Uh, there was also the mention of the Chinese Air Force uh, jet um, uh, harassing an Australian P8 surveillance plane over the South China Sea. And what it was is the jet, uh, besides getting really close, it launched uh, chaff uh, in front of the Australian plane, but also uh, released flares. And if obviously, if um, you know, say a flare canister went into the engine. Uh, the plane could have gone down. So we could, you know there's, we j- could just as easily today be talking about an incident where uh, you know a number of Australians got killed. And this, that would be something different. Uh, but the thing is, those things, something like this that potentially involves killing people. Uh, that isn't done by a local commander or the the pilot this is comes from the top and that is how uh, call it sort of fierce the chinese are getting uh you know it's willing to take those risks Uh, well
0: it's their uh, version of an escalation of force right uh, yeah right so if they they, don't turn back we want you to you know there's all kinds of things that you can do that to threaten somebody right turn on a fire direction radar you can launch like like that. They did launch flares, launch chaff, right? And what you're telling them is, we're now getting more serious. And it, you know, and then what you see is, um, there and and just so everybody knows. And Grant can tell you this: there is definite rules for intercepting aircraft that fly tangentially to your nation's airspace, right? Um, <clears throat> or n- close to you know, your carrier battle group or something like that, right? Both planes are supposed to, this is again, Mm -hmm. non-wartime. Both planes are supposed to be on an international guard frequencies, And that's when you hear these warnings, you know, this is an American aircraft, you're blah, 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 blah. Please stand away. Yada, yada, yada. So there's very, this, this dance, this Watusi has rules to it, right? And so when you see things like this happen in the Black Sea, we've seen Russian, naval vessels playing bumper cars with american warships and you see the russians routinely do crazy shit when it comes to running these intercepts right and what they're they're sending you a message that hey we're not having this we're not having this and so that's yeah. that's essentially what the chinese are doing
1: uh, but yeah this is is way beyond um although there's they've harassed planes plenty of times and remember in about 2002 they collided with the US Navy surveillance plane and brought it down. Uh, but this, you know, just in the what they did in the existing sort of context or circumstances, this was um, re- this was really sort of smacking someone in the shoulder and say, What are you going to do? Um, and this is, you know, I know I'm very worried by or concerned by what happened. There's lots of people who just dismiss it as the Chinese being Chinese. But I I don't see it that way. They are constantly pressuring, pressuring us, forcing us. They're going to. They're trying to force us to back off. And the uh, ultimate objective is Taiwan. Um, And we will see if we're what we're made of. Now, Um, they also harassed a Canadian uh, jet that was doing sort of sanctions busting surveillance uh, up up near North Korea, and. The same thing. I don't think they used flares, but they shot chaff in front of it or saw something like that. Uh, and of course, these are sanctions that South, that China has actually agreed to and is supposed to enforce. So they're there, getting in the way of a Canadian jet. Uh, also, um, you know, this is there's always been a sort of uh, nastiness to Chinese, uh, certainly speech um, and behavior as well. But this seems to be, you know. B- going um, beyond what the usual is is how I would see it um, so the the whole well I guess the bottom line of all of this is that it's not going to calm down uh, anytime soon um, you know with all of those you know, sort of headlines that you mentioned and sort of my readout of the the shangri-la dialogue is it showed no willingness on the part of the People's Republic of China um, to behave less aggressively uh, to rein in their in their objective or intentions of dominating the entire region and pushing us out, uh, but rather they've once again have read the riot act to us and um, expect they're waiting to see what we're going to do.
0: Give me the top two stories um, that you're tracking this week in uh, in the Pacific. Number one is oh,
1: boy. Um, Oh, there was something I forget what it is. Um, oh, the, the Americans are holding the uh, the Marines are holding the something called PALS, the Pacific Amphibious Leaders Symposium, but they're doing it in Japan. Uh, it's this get together. Um, I think every couple of years or so that the, the, the amphibious countries with amphibious forces get together and talk and stuff. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a good thing and they're actually holding it in Japan. uh, So that deserves some mention, um, which is a a good thing. The uh, other thing I'm watching is the once again, it's the US response to that Chinese declaration that Taiwan Strait is Chinese. Um, I'm waiting to see what we actually do um, about that. Uh, And you know, if we say if we let it go, hoping nobody notices it, it has sort of moved the ball in China's direction or China has moved the ball down the field um, some bit. You know, it's just a piece of the puzzle you know, as you watch us head towards uh, towards troubles. So I'm waiting to see what happens uh, with that. All right.
0: That's number one. Number two would be.
1: If Australia hasn't and I'm looking, Australia's sort of run out of energy. They've had a really cold start to winter. Um, the the green people uh, have put their sort of what fossil fuel energy production facilities into um, mothballs. not very good shape. Yeah. So apparently, the Australian, I think, it's the energy agency has taken over the industry. It's like a well, you'd like you would have it happen in a communist country, it's like, like, the gov- na-
0: like these, this this goes back to my days as a teenager when when nations in Latin America were nationalizing everything.
1: Well, yeah, or, or that's sort of what it is. Or Venezuela, Chavez right, takes right. over the oil industry right, right. Uh, to make it because it's not not running things right. Um, so I'm actually very interested in this because it is a test case. Not that one is really needed. Um, Texas gave us one. Because um, you're seeing this climate change religion uh, is now affecting everybody's life. Uh, you know, when you, you're told to turn your washer on only at night because the system can't help, can't help the, uh, you know, can't handle the strain during the daytime. Um, you know, this is very interesting to see how it plays out when people start running out of uh, gas, you know, start running out of electricity. Um, so that's kind of well, an odd, I, thing, odd living, thing to be living, watching, but that's
0: living yeah. in Southern California. I can tell you what happens: they just shut the power off. But they call them never the you know they're called rolling blackouts, or there'll be a brownout. But right? like, yeah, I don't. And this so is th- like things like that, and and they're solely right. Uh, they're man-made, and what happens is we take our power infrastructure on the basis of um, green aspirations right we begin to dismantle the power grid and the problem is we don't have enough re- renewables to fill the bill and so when heat goes up in the summer here in southern california they don't have enough power and so you have rolling blackouts and it's it's all based on this this green renewable aspiration that is not reality and it's been shoved down the throats of people in 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 all kinds of states And then, you know, Texas, we saw that in the middle of the winter. What the hell happened? And, uh, but in California, we've looked at it for years as, you know, we can, and again, now it's very interesting because the world is, is once again, taking a very hard look at nuclear energy of all things, for God's sakes. So that'll be interesting to see what they conclude.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, that's, um. Oddly enough, it's not really a defense thing, but that's when I'm watching it. You know, the, the Australians, of course, just changed governments. Right. So the Labour government, the the leftist government got in and with the, you know, huge green support. And um, we'll see. You know, so that's sort of a funny one to, to watch. Got it, got it.
0: All right, Grant. Well, first of all, I appreciate you hopping on this morning. And uh, what's the next thing? So are you not writing pieces now that you're devoting yourself to your book? Are we not going to see anything uh you know coming out recently or um are you are you writing are you dual tracking your writing uh
1: not so much dual dual tracking i'm happy with one track Um, (laughs) but there's something i'm supposed to write for some for a japanese magazine by the 20th but i'm not you know i hope maybe it can Put something together but i'd rather not um have yeah. to but, yeah. but I've, I've got to do one thing but i haven't written anything for a couple weeks just because i've been too focused on the, the book but i have one thing i think i have to do so
0: got, it, got it got it all right well we will look for that thank you very much for the visit this morning i appreciate it
1: mm, sure mm-hmm. okay talk to you later then
0: grant newsham here on a uh Wednesday. You know, it is kind of interesting. I mean, how do you convince legislatures to act? It's just money. And roll the dice on energy and things like that. I mean, cuz I mean, we do this kabuki dance on a democratic in a democratically dominated state like California. They know they don't have enough power. Right. And then you get these messages, you know, emailed to you about energy usage and things like that. And it's just stupid. You know, you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the capability to be like that. But we're going to mandate that you be like that. And we're to the point we're going to dismantle other things. Right. So, anyway, crazy crazy so um that'll do it my thanks to grant for coming on the pacific to me is a fascinating place Um, and i'm kind of proud of you know the work having grant on all these all these years i mean when things happen i mean i've probably learned more about the pacific any other thing relative to all-marine radio other than trauma I've learned more about the Pacific you know things I didn't know and if you haven't listened to the segment on um, uh, that Grant did relative to maps the map of the Pacific um, it's kind of like (laughs) it's kind of basic Um, but I would encourage you to. It's it's not basic. It's not a good way to describe it, and I'm describing my own work here. Um, there's a couple of maps in it, and then you could take those maps and blow them up. So the first map, as you're leaving the West Coast, right. You go to Hawaii, north you have Alaska, and really south you have Kerbati, which you mentioned, right? You go south of that is Tonga, and then southeast of that is New Zealand. That's kind of like our first island chain, like Alaska, Hawaii, and then... The line veers southeast to Kiribati, Tonga, and New Zealand. And then, um, then the next you have the Marshall Islands, the Solomon Islands just off Australia. And then you have really, if you go further east than that, then you have the second island chain which runs from Japan through Guam to Palau. And then to the eastern side of Pau, Pau Papua Pau New Guinea, right? And then if you follow that line south, it goes to Darwin. And then you have the first island chain, and um, which runs from South Korea to Japan, through Okinawa to Taiwan, through the Philippines, right, and down into Borneo, East Malaysia, right, and then um, you go further east, you have Myanmar, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, you have the Malacan Straits that lead to the Indian Ocean, India. Sri Lanka, Pakistan, up there. So anyway, um, so yeah, I, I would tell you to. I, I think you'll find it interesting, you know Grant's kind of assessment of it, and as as it lays out. So I would tell you to check it out. But yeah, I, again, I've I've learned more about the Pacific than you know. And then this whole idea of you know this black shipping that goes on in the world. What is it? Well, it's If you're the Chinese or the Russians moving oil, right? you can't rightly drive it into a North Korean port or it will be seen. So what you do is um, you turn off your transponders, you get out there on the Pacific, and you rendezvous at a certain date, a place at a certain time, and you transfer the, the cargo ship to ship. And a North Korea vessel goes back into a North Korean port and offloads it. So that's what you see around the world. How you get around sanctions and things like that. So, yeah. yeah actually, Grant taught me that. So anyway, my thanks to him for coming on today. Um, the Mensa brothers will join me Friday. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike McNamara, of the Salmarine Radio. If I can help you, help somebody yell. Have a great day. I'm out.